with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hi, it's uh, Herb Martin back again with The Motley Crew here. James Steidel and Peter Ewart in the studio, and uh, Eric Allen uh, is on the phone today. And today we'll be starting to talk off with... um, uh, uh, just the various issues in the forest industry uh, that have uh, come to the fore recently. There's three main issues. Uh, first of all, there was an article in um, uh, the Citizen. Uh, John Brink was talking about the access for secondary manufacturers. Uh, there's been also articles uh, throughout BC newspapers about the um, apparent fiber shortage and the um, consequences for the pulp and paper industry. And finally, um, uh, the pellet industry in, in BC has taken off and attracted some unwanted attention. Uh, basically, a, uh, a company in in, Brit- in, um, in Britain has um, uh, been importing uh, BC wood in the form of pellets to run their uh, energy um, uh, plant. So um, let's 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 start off with uh, with Brink, uh, James. You you saw the article. Yeah, I did. I, I took a look there, and uh, so and John has also put a couple of uh, Facebook ads out with some, kind of some highlights from that article. Uh, Ted Clark wrote it there in a Citizen, including you know that we that uh, the access to the timber in BC is really it's a special privilege for these companies, and I think that's a really good point that John makes that you know nobody ever. Uh, bought these trees or the rights to the land from the public, right? That was that was never that was never a deal that we agreed to, but that's kind of what's happening is they're you know shutting down production and not allowing the, the people of British Columbia to benefit from these public resources because they somehow have acquired these exclusive rights to our public resource. So I think that's some really good points that uh, John is making. I've, I've been critical of him on the past on on Facebook because. You know, at the at the same time, he hasn't really been critical of this in the past, and you know, he kind of holds up Jimmy Pattison as this as this uh, you know as a role model and whatnot. But I mean, really, it's kind of his company that's responsible for John running out of wood right now. So I think we got to have some honest talk about uh, all how oligarchy is kind of controlling our economy and how we got to break it up and get more stuff for the little guys uh, i think it's it's a huge theme in our economy not just forestry but i think this week and in, in food there's some discussion about uh these big supermarkets kind of fixing prices for us consumers uh, because there's not enough competition there and i guess there's gonna be a, a, some uh, investigation from the competition bureau finally uh into the lack of competition there so i think this is a big challenge all across the canadian economy and i think we gotta we gotta step up to the plate and we can't uh we can't worship these big these big companies and these big oligarchs anymore, you know. Yeah, uh, John Brink made made the uh, important point that um, uh, the secondary manufacturers' access to fiber was limited in 2003 under Gordon Campbell's uh, forest revi- revitalization plan, and up until uh, the year 2000, there was about 50 secondary wood wood product uh, manufacturers in northern BC, and now there's just three. Uh, Peter, you've you've uh, been involved in Stand Up for the North for a long time. What's, what's your what's your take on that? Uh? Well, I think it's a, a question of uh, in terms of the forest industry and, and forests in the province that things are coming to a head. You know, chickens are coming home to roost after many years of uh, bas- bad forest practices, uh, 
lack of development of value-added, over-harvesting, you know, the planting monocultures, which make susceptibility to the pine beetle, you know, and, and so on. So a whole number of things are coming to a head, as well as including the, the sell-off of BC Rail, which has crea- created problems with uh, rail capacity for uh, getting products out and so on. So these things are coming to a head, and what it's saying to me anyway, like following up on what James is saying there, is that, that this model is broken. And we're seeing it with the large number of uh, workers who've uh, lost their jobs, communities have lost mills. Uh, you know, now we're facing a situation where we could lose two or three more pulp mills and maybe as many as 10 sawmills. Uh, you know, so I think that's, that is the point that the, the, that the model is broken. I'm not sure that the, uh, like in terms of what the government is doing and all that, they're still, to me, for me, it looks like they're just, a, you know, some patching up here and there or whatever, right? But uh, not dealing with the uh, the broken model problem and how we need a new model, which empowers communities, empowers, uh, uh, you know, value-added producers and, and others, uh, you know, to be able to move ahead. Eric, you, uh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. What's what's your take on the John Brink uh, statements? Well... Like, looking at that uh, deal with Brinkster, so you see this, this, most of this is, I guess I got to say that the government, contrary to what James is saying, the government is elected to represent the people. And that's what they've been doing since day one. They're our representatives. So Canfor naturally has a big game to play in this, and so does the lumber industry. But who can tell me how well the government has been looking after your interests in the last 20-some-odd years? 30 years and they haven't and then the next question is well what have you done about it and the answer is zero I haven't done anything because I have to go and read what's on the uh, uh, Facebook and I have to dance and sing and I have to do all this stuff and I don't have time to worry about stuff like that until there's a problem now if we look at this article here it says the government aims to double the amount of available forest tenure on public land for indigenous people to 20% over the next few years. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean the logs are going to disappear. It doesn't mean that anything is going to change necessarily. Indigenous people will either log that off themselves and or hire somebody else to log it off. Those logs should, like the ones in McLeod Lake and that, go to a mill nearby or something and we carry on up the river. So it's an increase on the one hand, and then we're talking about a decrease or a lack of uh, timber on the other. So this is a huge file. And, you know, I was trying to get through the different mills around uh, BC that Canfor owns and other company owns, and that. And it just, you know, it's like going down a foxhole all the time. The Joe Citizen or Jane Citizen can't track this stuff all the time. We need government and or, and if the government won't do it, then we, I don't know what, Peter might have a better idea than me, but we we might need a fifth column or something to start putting this stuff out there and looking after our interests. Because if we elect a guy like, you know, I held my nose and drug my feet, kicking and screaming, and voted for the NDP in the last election. Because I thought, okay, I've had it with the Liberals. I never supported the NDP, but I'm going to vote for them because they're saying things that I wanted to hear. Which was 
shut down Site C and don't build LNG Kitimat. Well, they did both, even though they kind of ran on not doing it. So, you know, I remember years ago I said to somebody, or somebody said, I said, I voted for this guy and he never kept his promise. And he said, well, you didn't expect him to, did you? And I said, yes, I did. So you guys go ahead and now listen. Uh, James, you wanted to say something? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the good good point, Eric, about uh, the government's got to step up to the plate. Uh, you know, that, that's that's exactly, I think, what we got to do here. And, and one of the things I raised when I was running for city council there, I didn't really make much of a deal out of it, but I said if I got elected to city council and, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably pull through with this one if, if that had happened, we should ask the Ministry of Forests down in Victoria for the sawmill employment data. Uh, which they actually collect. They've got an economic uh, resource office down there, I think it's called, and they, they actually have a survey every year to see how many people are working in these sawmills. And I've tried to get this data before, and, you know, they, they won't release it because supposedly this is this is private information, that these sawmills uh, don't have to release it because that's personal, private, you know, corporate information. But, you know, I think it's just one small little thing that the government can do to kind of ch- raise these issues and, and challenge the, the stranglehold that we've allowed these companies to take. Because, yeah, let's not let's not blame Canfor. I mean, they're just doing what the government lets them do, right? I agree with that. Uh, but why won't they release this employment data? Why don't we know what we're getting as a public, what we're getting back in exchange for the public timber? And I think that was, you know, it's not private data because that's actually part of the bargain for the social contract that John Brink raised in his article there that uh, we would give these companies the logs and they'd give us the jobs. So why don't we know what the jobs are? So I think, you know, that, that's, that's just kind of one small example of how the government could help us bring these issues forward and and get more out of our resources for the communities here in the north. Uh, John Brink also, when he mentioned that um, 20% of uh, uh uh, the forestry land base is going to be handed back to native groups. He also said that um, uh, the, the government also announced that they're willing to hand over tenure to um, community forests, which is interesting because Prince George doesn't have one. Uh, under what uh, Cherry Green, I guess it was um, uh, dismantled, and um, but that uh, that opportunity exists, and uh, hopefully the new city council and the new mayor and and John Brink actually should step up and um, and and secure something so that we can reestablish some secondary manufacturing here in Prince George, and you know potentially help out John Brink because I mean he does employ hundreds of people. Uh, well, the other the other thing I'd like to just uh, mention in passing is that um, you know one thing we have to consider is that the the possibility that basically um, the, uh, the the forest ministry forest bureaucracy is is being totally co opted by industry when you have uh, the head forester Diane Nichols uh, leaving to uh, join the corporate board of uh, Drax the uh, international pellet. Uh, 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 consumer, uh, the um, it it uh, it looks it looks pretty messy. Uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't look like uh, the government's really been holding up its independent uh, uh, or the the bureaucracy anyway hasn't has the civil service has hasn't been holding up its its end of the uh, end of the bargain. So you know really we you know we have to start um, really sort of looking at uh, the forest industry and. You know, perhaps an inquiry is in order. You know, this is uh, there's there's a lot of issues that have they've come up recently, and uh, things are looking 
bleaker and bleaker, quite frankly, for uh, BC in that uh, in that regard. Uh, Eric, any uh, any other thoughts on this, or? Well, firstly, you know, we had a number of uh, of uh, pellet plants around. We had the one south of Quinnell, and we had, we had a, in I think it. Uh, Mackenzie, we had one up in Fort St. John or Nelson or whatever. But the thing is, you know, the reason we're talking about pellets and these logs and whatever is because the people in Great Britain or something are protesting because they don't want to be burning wood and they're trying to stop greenhouse gas emissions. We've been producing the same amount or more pellets for years and years and years and we send them to China, we send them to Japan, we send them to Korea, and they burn them there. So now all of a sudden this is a different issue? It's not. It's just that somebody's making noise over in Britain and we're talking about it. We've been doing it all along. You know, you can, I just driving to, out here a while back and, uh, you know, the one in uh, Strathnaver there, it's all, the whole yard is full of logs. Totally. And, uh, I don't know what the hell they're going to do with the ones in Port Nelson. I think the logs, the uh, the ones that can be used for plywood or something, going to northern Saskatchewan to a, a plywood mill there, and, and God knows where the timber's going. So the whole thing has to be, and I agree, and we have to do something about it, because like I was going to say, Jeff, Thomas Jefferson said, governments yield to pressure, and it's up to the people to apply the pressure. We're not applying any pressure. We're trying, but... The people, there's a lot of people that just, you know, I mean, I do it down there all the time. You drive downtown, meet a bunch of my buddies, drink coffee, and listen to them complain about the price of gas. Yeah, well, if, if only 26% of the population turns out to vote, yeah, it's not a, it's not a good indication of how no. uh, involved people are. James, you no, had but, something to say? Just, I'll just finish this off. Yeah. But the other side of the coin is is that there is the old saying, I don't know, it was Churchill maybe, but somebody said there's no army in the world can stop an idea whose time has come. I think we're on the cusp of having to come up with an idea to put it out there that people can go along with and start to change it. If they won't change it from the top down, then we have to change it from the bottom up. And we can do that. We're the consumers. Every one of these people will be out of business if we don't buy their product. And it doesn't have to be two by fours. We can get them in different ways. So. Anyway, that's a subject for another day. All right. Uh, Peter, you had something quick to say? Well, just uh, to follow up on Eric's, what he's talking about there, uh, about the ideas that the time has come for, and, I, you know, the idea, right? I think that's a, that's a good point because what we're dealing with here is not just an economic issue. It's a political issue. It's who controls, who makes the decisions about the forest, who makes the decisions about the tenure. And I think that's one, the fundamental thing that has to be completely uh, reformed and renewed from the point of view of uh, empowering communities, empowering those people in the, in the forest industry and environmental, industry, uh, environmental organizations and so on, right? But we need, uh, like right now, the decisions are made uh, by, you know, government, uh, you know, bureaucrats far away. Uh, and corporate boardrooms. We need to have a situation where the, the people who are directly live in the forest and work in the forest uh, have more say and more control of the decision-making. Okay, we're going to be right back. 
You ever thought to yourself, boy, it'd be nice to have a show that only features pop, rock, into a from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the odd time a little bit nearer? Well, you found the place. Saturday evenings, 9 to 11, it's all the map with Jimmy James, and it's the show that does feature pop, rock, into a from those decades. There's also the 930 1970s feature track, the 10 o'clock double shot, and to put the wraps on every week's show, the final vinyl feature. So tune in Saturday evenings, 9 to 11. It's all the map with Jimmy James, only here at 930.1 CFISFM. Hungry? Looking for something good to eat? Well, pop on by Boston Pizza and try their new feature menu, where Jalapeno Popper Dip is back by popular demand, along with the many tasty new items. As always, Boston Pizza offers medium and large pizzas, Buy one, get one, 50% off for takeout or delivery. And don't forget their happy hour runs in-store from 3 to 6 and 9 to closing daily. Give Boston Pizza a show today at either location, Spruceland or Brookwood, for any of your snacking needs. Is your small business ready to meet the economic challenges ahead? Do you have a clear vision to move your nonprofit forward? We can help. Hi, it's Norm Adams here from Pivot Leader, inviting you to join Dave Fuller and I December the 14th for our 5th Annual Strategic Planning Day. If you're a small business or nonprofit leader, join us Wednesday, December 14th at the Prince George Golf and Curling Club for our 5th Annual Strategic Planning Day. For more details, visit us at pivotleader.com. We look forward to seeing you then. Forecast from Environment Canada. A few showers today. Winds in the south at 20, gusts into 40, becoming west 20 late this afternoon, a high of 8. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers this evening. Clearing overnight, west winds becoming light, a low of minus 3. For Tuesday, mainly sunny, increasing cloudiness with a 60% chance of showers late in the afternoon. A high of 5 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about another uh, recent issue that's uh, cropped up in the forest industry, and that is the uh, pulp and paper uh, curtailments. Uh, we've seen them in Quinell, uh, Prince George, uh, Fort St. John, and a number of mills, uh, oh, and Mackenzie, and a number of mills are shut down on the coast. So uh, the uh, industry and uh, industry uh, uh, uh uh, spokespeople are, are kind of raising the alarm, saying that uh, unless something's done very quickly, uh, the whole industry, a $4 billion a year industry, could be in serious trouble. Uh, what's uh, what's your take on that, Eric? You, you know, I mean, you got to first look at the source of who's saying it, and uh, then you got to question why they're saying it. And, you know, we know, I don't know where the price of pulp is, but we know the price of... Uh, Lumber's gone down. I think it's under five hundred dollars a thousand board feet. A couple of years ago, it was fifteen hundred, and which was totally, totally insane. It was never there ever in the history of the forest industry. So then, the next question is, how can you make billions and billions of dollars in uh, two thousand twenty and twenty one, and they'd be going broke in twenty two? <laughs> you see, it's kind of an interesting concept. Well. What happens is all that money is made in in a year, and the year end, it's paid out in dividends or whatever. The corporations then have their operating budget to operate on the next year. Worst case scenario, if they can't make it, they have to borrow money. But the profits have already gone to the shareholders, yeah. and they're already in uh, wherever they go to spend their money, somewhere in the southern climes, I'm sure. And uh, so it's a it's a game much bigger than. Joe or Jane's six-pack because they do it all the time. They've done it forever. And so we have to find a way to stop it. And part of it would be we know, is if you shine some light on it, we know what happens to rats at the dump 
if you shine a light on them, they scurry away. And then you, you turn the light off, they come back. And this, this is where we're at. These people basically know exactly what they're doing. All corporations around the world, and they're going to continue to do it until somebody says, hey, that's enough. And, and we do have the other model that they took away a number of years ago, and that's the private limited co- uh, company model, which basically is what Brink is. And so he's got three small mills going, and he's, he's making and uh, creating some jobs. At the same time, the big corporations are eliminating them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I look uh, just from just from my experience in the in the forest industry <clears throat> in Ontario, uh, we topped at uh, two and a half inches. And um, when I came to, back to BC, I was looking around at uh, during the uh, mountain pine beetle uh, crisis. There was um, they were topping at six inches, so they were they were leaving leaving huge amounts of wood behind in the in the bush. Basically, because they, they were high grading the wood, and um, I think they might have dropped the uh, the requirements to four inches now, but it's still um, nowhere near what they're doing in Ontario. So we're leaving a lot of wood in the bush, and we're wasting a lot, and um, and the companies are coming back and 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 basically asking for additional government responses, uh, you know, in terms of of, of subsidies and uh, uh, you know, and deals that uh, will make it cheap for them to uh, uh, find their their fiber supply. There's no shortage of fiber supply out there for pulp and paper. Uh, James, well, I think that at the end of the day, we've just we've just been incredibly, like you say, Herb, incredibly wasteful with the resources. Uh, one, one of the things that really gets me is, and, and Ted uh, Ted Clark kind of mentioned this in the article, is that. Uh, you know, this fiber shortage is because of the mountain pine beetle and forest fire, nothing to do with completely irresponsible practices in the industry. I mean, a lot of these pine trees that we were in such a hurry to cut down and, and process, a lot of these things are still standing. Like they're, you know, we thought that these things were going to be no good after five years. Well, it's been almost 20 years now and these trees are still good. Like they're still saw logs. So I think there's a real opportunity there to, uh, slow down and be more selective with the logging. Like a lot of these stands weren't 100% uh, pine too, right? They were, they were maybe 50% pine trees and we clear cut everything and we, we did it, uh, with basically no money for the government, right? We gave this wood away for free. We had it with salvage, uh, stump, stumpage rates and then we never even required anything special in return. Like we should have required selective logging. Like why are you guys cutting down 30 year old spruce trees and throw it in a pile to burn it? Right, that stuff should have been left behind. We should have had uh, more partial harvesting in these in these stands that were hit by pine beetle, and uh, we wouldn't have this. Fi- I guarantee you, we would not be anywhere close to this fiber shortage that we're now experiencing. There's just so much waste, and then yeah, these guys, you know, they're 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 being silly with with how they use the public resources, wasteful, childish, and now they're crying because they they wrecked all their their resources. It's just I don't know. I don't have much patience for it to be honest. Yeah, Peter? Yeah, well, uh, uh, just following up on what uh, James and Eric and you have been saying here, you know, the the question is, uh, yeah, it's not a lack of fiber, it's lack of utilization of fiber, right, you know, in terms of what's being left behind and, 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 and so on, right? So what we have here is a situation where the where the rate of profit is, is trumping the community 
and and provincial interest, right? And you know, you have the it's the rate of profit for the biggest companies, and they have the ones with the, all the lobbies, right? You know, like we know that, for example, the pellet industry. Uh, uh, there's NDP, former NDP cabinet ministers like Mo Sohota and all that are lo- lobbying and so on. So basically what many people say is that, the, you know, the, that part of the problem is a political problem. The government has been captured by, by big industry. Uh, so anyway, that's just to repeat again. We that, it's not just a question of patching up some things. We have to we have to go in new directions. James, you had some. Well, speaking of new directions, I mean, if we uh, been to, to bring up the the stop the spray thing, you know, if we had not sprayed uh, and brushed what 1.5 million hectares of deciduous across the land base, most of that, and a lot of the huge amount of that in the central interior, we'd have uh, way higher yields happening in the forest right now, which people don't want to admit. Why do we cut down? Why do we spray the aspen? Because they grow quick. Okay, and why can't we make that into pulp and paper? Because we don't have an extra digester at these pulp mills. That's it. Okay, it's not. It's not because aspen is not a, a good pulp wood. It's because the companies have re- refused to invest in the infrastructure to utilize this tree, so that they can hang on to the myth that this is a garbage wood that is a weed tree that we need to spray and get rid of. If we didn't do that, we would have had a huge increase in the uh, fiber potential of the land base right about now. Yep. Oh, uh, we're going to head for a break and come right back. The Prince George and Bulkley Valley Community Foundations are partnering for the next round of the Investment Readiness Program. The program offers eligible social enterprises in northern B.C. funding to allow them to create, manage, and expand in order to prepare to receive investment. Groups including charities, nonprofits, co-ops, and social enterprises can be eligible for $10,000 to $75,000 through the program. Applications for the next intake must be submitted by November 22nd. For more information on the Investment Readiness Program, go to PG. GCF.ca. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is accepting nominations for the 2022 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth Excellence in Sport. The Premier's Awards honors and uplifts Indigenous youth athletes who have achieved excellence in performance sport and are regarded for their leadership qualities both on and off the field. Full details are available and nominations can be made through ispark.ca. The 2022 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth Excellence in Sport nomination deadline is today. The Prince George Council of Seniors is taking reservations for advanced planning clinics. If you're 55 plus with an annual income or at least $150,000 in net assets, here's your chance to meet with a pro bono lawyer to have a will, power of attorney, and or representation agreement put into place. Clinics are being held in College Heights and downtown once each month through November 16th. Get your name on the intake list by calling toll-free 1-833-512-0665. Create your own GIF with Christina Watts, Tuesday, December 6th from 6 to 8. Have fun creating an animated GIF to use with a wide variety of applications. It's a great way to wow your friends and family and add some personality to your messages. Registration and full details are available through the Arts North link at studio2880.com. Create your own GIF with Christina Watts, Tuesday, December 6th from 6 to 8 at Studio 2880. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back again, and we're still talking about forestry. This time, um, there was a recent uh, Fifth Estate documentary on Drax, the UK power producer, and... um, uh, and some some pretty startling claims that um, 
that uh, Drax is being allowed uh, access to uh, uh, old growth forests. Um, in a couple of articles, there's some stunning information actually that Drax is receiving two million pounds of subsidies per day in order for it to burn uh, so-called renewable fuel. And uh, this is uh, perhaps why uh, there's so much uh, political pressure here for, uh, to, you know, basically to allow them to expand and to monopolize uh, the pellet uh, business in B.C. James, you wanted to say something? Well, um, I, when the BBC did that documentary, they actually, as, as in that documentary, if you watch the whole 20-minute, 20 25-minute thing, I think there's a little 30-second clip where they, they come to a wood shop and I met them at an event at the park there for retirement for one of the professors at UNBC and, and just told them what I did. And uh, they showed me these pictures of some of the logs at the yard there. And they were, you know, aspen and birch, and I didn't see any rot in them. So I was like, yeah, that's that's good wood. And I've looked at those logs, too. I know that they're turning good saw log aspen and, and birch and cottonwood into into pellets. So, yeah, I brought them into the shop, and I just so happened to be working on a furniture project with aspen. You know, going into a high-end retail uh, setting in, uh, where was that going? I think that was going to Burnaby. And that's the stuff we're turning into pellets because we don't have a market for Aspen in this area. And it's, you know, if, even if you're not doing furniture with it, you could be doing OSB panel with it. You could be making plywood with it. You've got plywood at Home Depot that's made out of Aspen from Ontario. So it's it's a structural wood. It should be getting turned into wood products. It should, should, not, should not be getting burnt. Uh, you know, I don't really have a problem with the pellet industry if we are actually using uh, waste material, branches, tops, sawmill residue. But but the reality is, you know, the loophole is the deciduous species, right? And because it's not being used by the mills in our area, they can go in and cut down these perfectly good primary old growth aspen birch forests. And I call old growth because, you know, they're over 100 years old. And the real kicker for me is... Uh, they're all subject to standard conifer reforestation. So we're targeting these deciduous aspen birch forests, and by law, they are reforesting to pine and spruce trees mostly. And be, if it's a BC timber sales block, you know, they're going to be spraying it, they're going to be brushing it to grow a conifer plantation. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know, if we're going to be utilizing these deciduous for pellets, which I don't think is a great use for them, like why aren't they letting them regrow as deciduous? So I think. I think that's kind of part of the story that's really being lost. Nobody talks about that in any of these articles. Um, and to me, that's like, that's just a, that should be illegal. Yeah. Another thing, maybe perhaps, I mean, I, I was fairly outraged that Diane Nichols, Nichols would, went over to uh, industry. Um, you know, I, I know in private industry, um, you, uh, uh, if you're a high level executive, you're usually barred. Uh, from taking employment with competitors or someone else in the industry because of the, because of the knowledge that you have, yeah. and maybe that's something we have to start to looking at in terms she, of civil servants she's a as complete, well. She's a complete disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't I can't believe that that we accept that as a, as our top civil servant in forestry that somebody would do that. And I actually wrote a pretty long article documenting the the corruption that went into, or, or I guess not corruption, but just like lies that went into their report on glyphosate spring hmm. that uh, the chief forester approved and and basically and the deputy chief forester Shane Berg who's now the chief forester uh, you know they oversaw this really ridiculous report that basically lied to the public and how is this acceptable in our civil service I've I have no idea and and this office I mean the chief forester is an incredibly powerful office 
And back to Peter's point earlier in the show, just about how we don't have any control over anything here with forestry and Eric's point about, you know, the public standing up. But, like, we've got this incredible institutional blockage, which is called Victoria, the Ministry of Forests in Victoria. Like, not even the politicians can get a handle on this thing, right? This is just, this is a power in and of itself, and they do whatever the hell they want, and there's nothing that the public, let alone politicians, can do about it. Well, there was uh, a forester that retired uh, this year, I believe, and, and wrote an article uh, describing how uh, the Ministry Forest had been captured by industry. Oh, it's completely rotten. Yeah. Completely that, rotten. So it was, uh, I mean, he basically documented that um, the um, uh, forest, forest industry had um, uh, an office in the Ministry Forest building uh, where they decided how a policy was going to be drafted. That's that's an incredible admission. Yeah, and I, I would even extend that to like aspects of the ministry environment as well. I mean, the regulations around spraying, like they're they don't include consider the public interest whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And look, where did those regulations come from, and who are they writing those regulations uh, for? Yeah, hey, Eric, uh, any any comments? Well, yeah, we have to look at our, our at our history and see what was working before and, and when it changed, how it changed, who changed it. You know, I was in Prince Rupert in 1962. They were loading logs on ships, uh, whole logs on ships to go to Japan. And the ships are in there all the time, loading logs all the time. And if you go to Rupert today, they're loading logs still, and they're loading logs all along the B.C. coast I think through Bene- uh, Bella Coola or Haida Gwaii, all the way down to Vancouver, off the islands. Not as much as before, but if you look at the stats, it's a horrendous amount of uh, logs that are exported out of this country. So, you know, does it matter if they go out as a pellet, if they go out as whole logs? Now, there's logs coming out of the Hazelton. I mean, that uh, Pulp Miller Watson Island, usually called Scenicraft, got all its logs and everything from the Terrace Hazelton area. And there was a 100-car log train every day that rolled into that pulp mill. They did their whole log chipping, and they made pulp. Shut the mill down. Uh, big uh, arguments and, and problems with it. But anyway, the end result was <clears throat> the TFL, I think, was turned over to uh, the natives, and they logged it, but all the logs they all go to China or something. And, uh, you know, obviously, when, when they had a huge problem in Russia that all the logs were going to China, Putin put a, a 25% embargo on the export of logs, and it stopped immediately, and they started bringing all their logs in from uh, uh, New Zealand and, and uh, Canada and all over other parts of the world to what would be the east coast of China. Then they moved like 60,000 or 6,000 two-man mills over there, and they started cutting their lumber on the other side of the country. So that didn't work for Putin, but they did start building mills in Russia to process these logs, but they weren't very good at it. So then they brought the Chinese in to run the mills, and they got the jobs, and they got the logs. So it can be done. Something as simple as embargoing the export of logs will give you a lot more fiber, but who's going to do it? Now, the argument used to be that the, the loggers in the bush that are logging and involved in exporting these logs will lose all their jobs. Because, you know, they can't get a job at the sawmill because they've already got those jobs. But what's happened? They shut down the sawmill. They're still exporting the logs. And they shut down the sawmill because they don't have any fiber, supposedly. And it goes back to the liberal set of prudency. So 
So we gotta we gotta put that stuff out there in a way that people can understand what's happening. And it's hard to do when you don't even have a newspaper anymore. And uh, to get that out there, because, you know, I've been trying to catch up and read some of this stuff today, and it takes hours digging around all over the Internet. Where it used to be at your front door at 7 o'clock in the morning, and you just go through it seven, <laughs> six or seven days a week with a cup of coffee. All right, we've got to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. A new program aimed at sparking and supporting innovative tourism ideas in northern B.C. is now taking applications. The Spark Mentorship and Grants Program will match selected applicants with a tourism mentor, provide a $3,000 grant, and additional partner support to help take their tourism idea to the next level. Applications are being accepted through December 6th. For more information on the Spark Mentorships and Grants Program and available info sessions, visit tourisminformation.ca slash northernbc. UNBC's School of Education is hosting a screening event for The Scattering of Man, Thursday evening at 7. This documentary film from director Luke Gleason details the devastating and lasting impacts of the flooding of the Rocky Mountain Trench from the construction of the W.A.C. Bennett Dam on the people of the Tsay-Kay-Dene Nation and their way of life. The Scattering of Man, 7 o'clock Thursday evening in the Canfor Theatre at UNBC. The RCMP is requesting the public's help in locating a wanted person. 35-year-old Tyrone Terrace Squinnis is wanted for assaulting a police officer. He is described as an indigenous male, 5'8", 144 pounds, with brown hair, brown eyes, and a star tattoo on his chest. Squinnis should be considered violent and should not be approached. If you know his whereabouts, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report anonymously online at northernbccrimestoppers.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, a few showers today, winds in the south at 20, gusts into 40, becoming west 20 late this afternoon, a high of 8. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers this evening, clearing overnight, west winds becoming light, a low of minus 3. For Tuesday, mainly sunny, increasing cloudiness with a 60% chance of showers late in the afternoon, a high of 5 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back, and we're still talking about forestry. Uh, Peter, you wanted to add something to the conversation? Uh, yeah, yeah. in regards to the pellet industry, uh, the problem I see there is, uh, you know, instead of uh, aiming to get more value out of the wood, we're, we're going backwards on that, and we're getting less value out of the wood in some ways. Uh, you know, like we're turning, uh, turning the wood, we're just burning it up and uh, turning it into a pollutant into the air. You know, so, you know, as James says, there may be, a, you know, a place for it, right? But to, to go a whole hog into it this way, you know, to me is a tremendous waste. Uh, wood is a wonderful substance, and our forests are wonderful places as well. You know, in terms of being able to extract value uh, you know, with the, the, in diverse ways and diverse uses, like uh, it's a complex uh, hydrocarbons and and so on, right? That can be uh, utilized in so many different ways. And basically, we're sort of hamstrung into uh, you know just a, a couple of different ways, and uh, th- that's part of the problem is uh, that I see is that we have to. We have to seriously take up the whole question of what does it mean getting more value out of the wood and also the whole question of tending our forests and getting values and uses out of that as well. I think I think the uh, one of the biggest problems we face is the tenure system. And, uh, you know, when, when only 20% of the wood in B.C. is put up for bid, uh, it stifles competition, stifles innovation, 
And, uh, you know, that's something we definitely need more of at the moment. Uh, we were down to a few major players that control somewhere between 65 and 75% of the market. Uh, it's not good for, uh, it's not good for BC. It's not good for Prince George. Uh, we've, we've got to get more competition going. Uh, put everything up for bid, I think. And, um, uh, we'll, we'll see some, we'll see some new, new com- companies come in. We'll see some new products being made. Uh, the, the, the established players just had it too easy for too long and they're, they're just fat and happy and lazy. And, uh, it's not doing us any good. Uh, Eric, any last words? Yeah, the, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day, like Woodward's in Vancouver. I knew some people that used to work there that when they shut down, they went to work for the CN Rail. But, uh, uh, you know, they talked some of the stories about the employees and the company and how they got along. And, and they were all part of uh, this one effort. They were proud to work there. It was a great company. And everybody had a responsibility, and they made sure that they took care of it. And we have the same thing here in Prince George. Like if you go to one of the restaurants that we meet in on certain days, there's employees of uh, Woodward's and, and these different companies that come in and have coffee. Now, this is 20 or 30 years later, and they're still banded together as friends and employees of these companies that they were proud of. Uh, <clears throat> we've lost that type of thing. It's common sense that if you give an individual a job, with authority and the ability to make money for you, he will do it, with a few exceptions. You know, that's that's the people who, 90% of uh, new inventions in the world are are by the working man, you know, and it's the issue of uh, necessity as a mother of invention. There's no necessity in a a boardroom. All they gotta do is is make money. And, And if they don't make money for the shareholders, they get fired, so of course there's some pressure on them. But it's not the same. They don't have picnics necessarily. They don't have their ball teams like they used to. Like we got ball teams at Pope Mills here that were built years and years ago, and nobody's ever played ball on them. They just we don't do that stuff anymore. So that's all part of changing it. You have to have pride. Now, I just to top this off, can you imagine? Like we know when we drive down the highway that they've got uh, James knows better than I do and Herb that there's that. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 feet of trees along the road, they're put there and left there in legislation. But the real reason for it is so you can't see the clear cut because it's ugly. Okay, so that's why it's there. So what we'll do now, because our secondary uh, way of making jobs is, is they say, well, you know, we'll have to come up with the tourist industry. So I guess what we'll do is fly them over the clear cuts. And we can say, now you can see what not to do, <laughs> and this is a result, because it's ugly. What we're doing to the landscape and to the country is ugly. There's no way around it. We have to do a better job, and these people can walk in the forest, and they can listen to the birds and the bees <clears throat> and the rest of it, and the grouse and the moose and the deer, whatever. We've got it all. Or they can go into the you know the silence of the... Uh, lambs or something with his well there'd be lambs there maybe chewing but other than that there's no noise in there at all silence of the plantations yeah yeah it, yeah it's two extremes all right uh let's uh, switch gears here and um uh i guess uh, uh, uh danielle smith um has had a inauspicious start to her uh, premiership in alberta uh it's sort of been overshadowed by the uh, total meltdown of um liz truss in the uk in the last little while but um 
Daniel Smith has had to walk back about uh, what three different st- statements in the last week. Uh, basically, totally misinformed, ill-informed, and um, I'm just sort of, you know, wondering. Um, it, it turns out that uh, a lot of information comes from alternative news sources, and uh, which were patently false. Uh, is she, you think she's doing this because, well, either she's not very bright, or B, maybe she's extremely cynical and thinks she can ma- manipulate the uh, the population, or are we uh, maybe even entering um, a post-truth era or post-morality era? You know, when when you have uh, politicians like Trump in the states who who basically are totally amoral, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's the new thing. Maybe um, maybe politicians now don't feel that they're actually bound by any conventions, conventional uh, uh, thoughts of uh, honesty or. Uh, or truthfulness, uh, James. Yeah, I went to uh, Danielle Smith's Twitter. There, I mean, she gets she's very popular. She gets a lot of likes. Uh, so, I mean, may, maybe that's working. But uh, just to back up a little bit, uh, I, I've actually been on the Danielle Smith show, and you know, I'm going to defend her a little bit. I mean, I, I think she said a lot of ridiculous things. But when you go to the alternative uh, world of news, when and I consider stop the spray bc to be one of those alternatives sometimes you're right you know and sometimes you hit on some good points that that uh, isn't being covered in the media and and when i talked to her about uh so she she contacted me because donald trump had said something about uh, we're not raking the forests is why they they were burning down or something and and he got made fun of and i guess i was supposed to kind of support trump's idea basically somehow that um that, you know, we were actually making forest fires worse with uh, spraying the fire-resistant aspen. And she was actually pretty educated about that. And I don't know, I think we had a pretty intelligent conversation. Uh, so, you know, I think I think there's, there's, there's a desire there to challenge some of the conventional ways of looking at the world. And, and I think maybe that's why she's she's going on uh, towards these alternative news sources to come up with stuff. But, I mean, a lot of times she's incredibly wrong, too, and really embarrassing. All right, we'll have to take a quick break. Come right back. Parent Support Services Society of BC is presenting the workshop Consent, Boundaries, and Body Safety for Parents and Kinship Caregivers Raising Children 8 Years Old and Under. Body safety education can play a role in empowering children with preventative skills. Registration and full details are available through the event calendar under events and workshops at parentsupportbc.ca. Consent, boundaries, and body safety. Tuesday morning from 10 to 11.30 through parentsupportbc.ca. After a busy summer, Oceanwise Education is back in full swing for the back-to-school season. Dynamic programming available from Oceanwise includes downloadable education kits, professional development workshops, virtual aqua classes, and hands-on discovery kits, all aimed at empowering students and educators to help protect and restore the ocean. For more information on these and other OceanWise educational programming, visit the Learn and Explore page through ocean.org. OceanWise, inspiring and empowering curious minds. Tourism Prince George has a new 60-second video showcasing our city's capacity to host mid- to large-size sport tournaments and events. We're Always Game was shot in Prince George on and off the fields of our sport venues, highlighting the pride, spirit, and dreams. Created by local videography and production company Six Sigma, check out the new promotional video on the Tourism Prince George YouTube site. For more information on the We're Always Game campaign, visit tourismpg.com. 
The Indigenous Physical Activity and Recreation Council is proud to present the Indigenous Long-Term Participant Development Pathway Supporting Indigenous Participation Workshop. The two-day program is designed to help sport and physical activity leaders and organizations enhance their understanding about how to support Indigenous participants and athletes in their programming. Sport organizations wishing to participate in this unique sporting journey and mentorship program are asked to fill out an expression of interest available through ispark.ca. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back. Uh, Eric, what's your uh, what's your take on uh, Danielle Smith and uh, alternative, alternative news sources in general? Well, I didn't get much chance to get into that. Uh, but I would say that, you know, a, a newbie... Uh, just common sense and good manners. If a new if a newbie gets elected to something, you, you should give them a chance before you start tearing them apart. <laughs> and uh, we tend not to do that. And the same with the one in uh, in Great Britain. There, you know, she's a new prime minister. They voted her in there. Next thing you know, the the news of the day is there's a contra- there's a, a race between how long she's going to last and how long a, a cabbage is going to last or a, a lettuce. And the lettuce is sitting there. And they let us out last, and they were all laughing, and then we'll go to the football game. And that's what's wrong with this country. I just had a visualization here with uh, James and stopped the spray, so we'll get him a beanie cap, and we'll put a propeller on it, and we'll hook it up so he's spraying out from the top of his head, and we'll give him a bicycle, and he can ride around town, and we'll say, well, how long is this spray going to last before he falls off the bike? (laughs) You know? Now, that's not going to do James very good because he's serious and he's trying to do something. And we're not all, you know, able to do the right thing the first time out or something. That's why, like, with this new mayor that's elected or something, I'm kind of holding off a bit because my first reaction is to say, what the hell's going on? But uh, I'll wait and see, and then I'm going to write my view of what's going on. Try to support him in the first couple of years anyway. Give everybody a chance to settle down and, and do the right thing. And then if they don't do it after that, then all hell break loose. All right, Peter, what's what's your take on this? Uh, well, yeah, just like following up on what James was saying about uh, alternative media. I, like there's some who try to paint alternative media as being all bad, right? And the establishment media, the mainstream media being all, all good. And uh, I don't agree with that myself. Like the alternative media, there's often very good uh, sites to get, to get information that is not in the mainstream media. And the mainstream media, in terms of deception, there's many examples of that. Uh, everyone remembers the weapons of mass destruction uh, concept that was put forth uh, and cheerleaded by the media around the Iraq War, which ended in the death of thousands and thousands of people and and destruction in Iraq and and so on and so forth. And there's many other examples of it. So I think uh, we have to have a critical eye towards both the mainstream media and alternative media, but not writing you know the things off just simply because they come from that source or another. Uh, the second point is, uh, yeah, like the uh, uh, the election of Daniel Smith in uh, Alberta, you know, shows uh, you know that there's a dysfunctionalities that is continuing on in in within Alberta. Like she talks about, um, you know, a united party. Well, she got 53 percent of the vote, uh, you know, the le- leadership vote, and. Um, 
you know, so, so that's... Uh, well, Kenny, Kenny resigned when he got 52%. So. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and and so, then, so then you have a situation where uh, basically uh, the, the, the United Conservative Party, they voted in the, the next premiers, like she's premier now. You know, so, and how many people do they represent? Well, a little over 1% of the, of the population. So, at the same time, uh, you know, there's a, there's a dysfunctionality that's going on there, and to me it's a crisis of legitimacy and, and, and so on, right? But it's not confined to Alberta. You know, like, as you mentioned, Herb, you know, like, they're talking about uh, England, what's going on there, you know, the, the crisis there. But then, of course, we should look at our own backyard right here in, uh, BC with the, the NDP leadership, uh, uh, schmazzle that's gone on, right? You know, so there's, there's a whole problem with, with part of the party system and how it's, uh, not functioning properly. The United States is another example of a dysfunctional party system so anyway that's something we have to keep an eye or, you know think about more yeah well one thing I'd, I'd just like to add about daniel smith one of one of her ex-staffers said that she has no sense of crazy so i mean if you are going to start looking in alternative news sources <clears throat> it's always good to have that um, that sense of crazy and when you're when you're reading crazy to, to realize it and and not to uh keep on uh keep on going down a, a rabbit hole for instance all right we've got a, a couple of minutes left uh, james you wanted to touch on uh, an interesting supreme court case yeah this is this this came out a few days ago and it was had to do with the city of halifax uh basically trying to make a park on some private land and i think this is really relevant to prince george uh, with the ginter's green thing uh, so that is uh, for anybody who's um hasn't been following uh the news in PG. The Ginter's Green is at the end of Massey. Uh, they want to basically, the city wants to run a uh, road through there. It's a mixture of public and private land. And right above Ginter's Green, there's 162 acres currently for sale as private land. But, you know, there's a bunch of trails through there and they're kind of advertised as, as trails. And, and the city kind of encourages people to, to use them. And this ruling in Halifax basically, uh, really ties the city's hands if they want to try to turn private land into a park. And it actually, it's a really important ruling that will uh, fundamentally kind of question what's in the public interest and in the favor of private interests. So uh, there is a quote here from the article, uh, the dissenting decision uh, for this uh, this ruling said, our colleagues' reformulation involves an unwarranted departure from a previous precedent and significantly expands the potential liability of public authorities when regulating land in the public interest. So there's some fear here that, you know, our ability to zone land for certain uses could really be challenged by private speculators or developers who would argue that they should be allowed basically to do whatever they want because it's their property. <clears throat> and this will have ramifications for a lot of things, including, you know, uh, shutting uh, one of the things brought up was shutting down coal mining in Alberta. You know, if you say you can't uh, put a coal mine here, that could be challenged under this new this new court case. Well, so it's allowing the, the developer just to um, uh, sue the city for basically uh, encroaching on its on its. Um, uh, private property, but I mean, one thing the developer hasn't done either there in Halifax or here in Prince George is either put fences up or post uh, no trespassing signs. So I think they're, they're, the 
the, the court case is yet to proceed. I think that the whole That's thing is right. a, it's yeah. about proceeding. Uh, but I, I think there's a there's a, a good basic defense there that if the the private owner doesn't uh, post it, then um, uh, pretty much uh, tough noogies. All right, I think we got to wind her up. And uh, yeah, been a great show. Thanks very much. Thanks for everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back next Monday. After Nine is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.